at night and you can't seem to, you're tossing and turning, can't quite go to sleep, be a good one to read because it's got a lot of genealogies in it. It's got a lot of names in them. And I'm not going to stand up here this morning and, and make you think that I know how to pronounce them all because I really don't. <clears throat> and so we're not going to read a lot of these names. But I do want to bring out, there's some very, very great principles that we can find in chapter 10. And uh, in chapter number 8, we find that there was um, the beginning of revival. So chapters 1 through 7, we see the rebuilding of the wall. In chapter number 8, the people come to Ezra, who is a contemporary of Nehemiah at this time. He's there at the same time, and he's um, one of the religious leaders. And uh, they find the book of the law of God, and they ask Ezra to read this. And so they begin to read the Bible. And by the way, anytime you've been away from the Lord, uh, one of the first steps to get back to Him, I believe, is to start reading the Bible. See what the Bible has to say. Let God speak to your hearts. And so they begin uh, hearing the book of the law being read. In chapter number 9, we see what I think is one of the great, great times of confession. I think a wonderful example is given in chapter 9. I think a pattern of how we ought to go about asking for um, uh, uh, forgiveness and confessing the things that we've been uh, uh, wrong with with God. I think this is a wonderful uh, pattern and example in chapter number 9 uh, as the people begin to see their need. And by the way, uh, I think every time we come to God's Word, we ought to look for the things that God has for us that, that, that impact our hearts, that draw us to a point of decision. Um, for us to read the Bible and never be stirred in our hearts about something that we need to, to deal with, I think is a dangerous place to be. Uh, to, I, I'm not saying that... Um, I, I think every time we come to God's Word, there ought to be something that stirs inside of us. It may be encouraging to us. It may be conviction uh, over some things that we see that we need to deal with. But I think in every case, as we come to God's Word, it ought to do something in our hearts. And if we can consistently come to God's Word and not, not be stirred, not have anything um, happen inside of us, uh, then, then there's some serious problems, I think, with our, our spiritual walk with the Lord and things that we certainly ought to, to be concerned about and uh, seeking the Lord on. And so in chapter number 9, after the reading of the law in chapter 8, they uh, have a time of repentance and confession towards uh, the Lord of the things that they uh, had done in their lives, and they also asked uh, for God's forgiveness for even the things that their fathers had done and uh, that they as a people had not done rightly, and then they as individuals had not done rightly. And we get to chapter number 10, and again, I think we see a natural progression of things. In chapter 8 we see the reading, in chapter 9 we see the conviction and the confession of their sin. In chapter number 10 we find a commitment being made by the people to say, Lord, we don't ever want to do this again. We're going to walk in Your ways. We're going to... And they, they make a, an oath here. They make a covenant uh, with God, or renew the covenant, I guess would be the better way to word this, because this is something that they were supposed to have already been doing anyway. Um, today we, we look to times where we, we call them revivals or times where there are special seasons that God gets, seems to get a hold of our hearts and draws us to a place of, of decision and we make some commitments from those decisions, from those, uh, those things that God convicts us about. We make some new commitments to God or reiterate commitments that we had made before that perhaps were broken. And so this is what we're finding as we get to chapter number 10. 
And so uh, I want us to look at a couple of things um, regarding these commitments. Then we're going to look into chapter number 10. But uh, I, I, was, I was reading an article here, uh, I guess a week or so ago, um, and a fellow was talking about why we, um, why we, and I'm trying to think of how they worded it, and I, I, why we make um, commitments, but then we don't keep them along those lines. Uh, and he was talking to a psychiatrist. He said, you know, of all these people who come to a psychiatrist for help, and they make um, life resolutions. <laughs> I'm going to do better in this area and that area. If everybody kept the resolutions they made, there wouldn't be any more psychologists. Uh, so there's a, there's a human nature that finds making the decision rather easy. But living that decision, very, very difficult. You ever been that way? Uh, I don't know. As, as I was growing up, I don't know how many times... Uh, I came to an altar, especially as a young person. I would come to an altar, and I would make some commitments to God. And, and, and I was sincere. And when it, when it happened, my heart was broken about it. I shed tears about it. I, I'd get up with full expectation that I'm going to live the way that I just committed to God that I would. And it wouldn't hardly be 24 hours or sometimes maybe a week before all of a sudden I realized, hey, I haven't kept that the way that I should have. And, and I think that's one of the great battles James deals with it. He says that, that we don't have a problem being a hearer of the Word. We have a problem with being a doer of the Word. And that's what he deals with throughout his entire book of James, um, is uh, not being just a hearer only, but being a doer of the Word. Um, Solomon talks about the fact that it, it needs to go beyond just the knowledge of truth. We need to have the, the application. The psalmist uh, uses the term that we take heed. And uh, the word taking heed is more than just hearing it and knowing it, but then acting upon it. And, uh, and this seems to be the struggle. And so these folks here in chapter number 10 are making a commitment to God. And I want us to see, and we're probably going to take two Sundays on this for sake of time, but we're going to see how that towards the end of the chapter, we're going to see how serious these people were about the commitment that they're making to God. So let's look in verse number 1, if you will. And uh, let's back up to verse 38 of the previous chapter. And because of all this, we make a sure, and, and this is an important thing, I think, to go into chapter number 10 with. We make a sure what? Covenant and write it. So they didn't want to just say it. They wanted to have it written down. And by the way, I think it's a good practice when we make decisions for the Lord. Write them down somewhere. Have some kind of a landmark that you can go back to in your spiritual life that you can point to and say, that was the time, that was the place, that was the day that I made this commitment to God. And it helps us to be able to go back to a place like that. Jacob, if you'll remember, when he was fleeing Esau, came to a place where he had his vision of the, the stairs going up and down to heaven, and God met with him there. And so he called the place Bethel, and he built there an altar unto the Lord. And years later, after his family had... Uh, he made some commitments to God and everything at that place. And years later, after he and his family had kind of allowed some things to slip, some of his family were dealing with idol worship, uh, and they had kind of gotten away from the Lord, he came to his family. He said, we can't keep living like this. Put away your idols. We're going back to Bethel. Why? Because there was an altar there. There was something that was substantive. He could go back and say, I met with God here once. I can go back there again. And I think it does as well to write down 
decisions that we make. It may be in the flyleaf of your Bible. It may be in the notebook that you keep at the house. But something that from time to time we can go back to and say, Lord, I made that commitment to you. I may not have lived it the way I should have, but I want to get back to this. And I want to go back to this time and this place. So these people wrote this down. And it says, And our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. Now, and this is uh, why, why we had to read verse 38, is verse 1 wouldn't make much sense to us if we don't understand what happened in verse 38. Now, those that sealed were, <laughs> and he's going to give a lot of people here. If you'll read down through that list, down to verse number 14, you'll find that those that were listed, and it began with Nehemiah, I believe, if I remember correctly, verse number 1, uh, it starts with Nehemiah. So the, the fellow that's kind of in charge of everything. And then if you get down to verse number 14, you'll find that those that were listed in verses 1 to 13 were those that were the chief of the people. These were the ones that sealed themselves to this covenant. They said, we're going to make a covenant. We're going to renew this covenant with God. We're going to write it down. We're going to sign our names to it. We're going to, this is something that we're not going to deviate from. And it begins with the leadership. By the way, uh, I, I like that we've been praying on Wednesday nights. And uh, if I ever forget to mention it, usually Brother Keith will say, let's pray for our nation, our leaders. Can I tell you this? I think it was um, Dr. Lee Robertson a number of years ago was the first person I heard say this. But he made this statement. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And uh, I, I used to, to hold to that, and I thought, boy, that's a, that's a good thing. And, and I would say, okay, so it's not my responsibility to do right. It's the people that are over me's responsibility to do right and set the example for me to follow. So if I'm doing wrong, it's their fault. And that's the way I took that. Can I tell you this? Every single one of us that name the name of Christ leads somebody. Somebody looks to us. And I would so go back to that statement that everything rises and falls on leadership. You're an example to somebody. It may be somebody younger than you. It may be a newer Christian than you are. It may be a Christian maybe who's been saved a long time but hasn't grown a whole lot spiritually. Somebody is looking up to you. If you name the name of Christ, if you say, I'm a Christian, I trust Christ as my Savior, it may be a lost neighbor that knows you're saved and go to church that watches your life week after week. I'm telling you, you are an example to somebody. And so these leaders, they began by making this commitment. Then as we get down to verse number 28, the Bible says this, and the rest of the people. So it began with the leaders, and then it was the rest of the people. These are the ones that are entering into this covenant. The rest of the people, and then he goes on to say who these rest of the people are. The priests, we all know who the priests were, and the Levites, the porters, those that served in the temple, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. Now, there were two things they were sealing to, and I want you to notice these in verse 28. They were separating themselves, notice this, from the people of the lands. And they were separating themselves unto the law of God. So they said, we're forsaking this. And we're clinging to this. And this is what our covenant is. We're sealing ourselves. We're, we're writing it out. We're signing our name to it. We are doing this. This is something we are doing. And it began with the leaders. And then it began with the religious leaders, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers. I love this. Uh, he puts in here the nethanims. Uh, we're going to take a few minutes because I, I, you know, I read that passage a lot of times. And I thought, who in the world are the nethanims? <laughs> uh, 
Why are they in here? Why is this so important? Hold your Bibles uh, handy, and we're going to look at several passages here real quick. And I want us to take a few moments to look at these nethanims. Turn with me, if you will, to Ezra chapter number 8. The, one of the first mentions we hear of them uh, is in Ezra chapter number 8, or one of the uh, first indications of them being a part of the nation of Israel. Nehemiah chapter number 8, and they don't, they don't call them by name here, but this is the group that becomes this, uh, I believe. Actually, it does call them, I think, my name here. Uh, Ezra chapter number 8 and verse number 20. And um, I want you to understand that <clears throat> during this time, uh, these are, are folks. Uh, let's just read it and then we'll get into it. Uh, chapter number 8, verse number 20. And let me get in the right book here. <laughs> I was turning quickly and went to the wrong one. Ezra chapter number 8 and verse number 20. Also of the Nethanims whom David, notice this, and the princes had appointed. Now this is the key thing here. For the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanims, all of them were expressed by name. So this group of people were a group of people that were set aside to serve under the Levites in the temple work or in the tabernacle work. Uh, the, they are first mentioned in Numbers, and that's where I wanted to go initially, but in Numbers chapter number 31, we're going to see where these folks come from uh, that are serving here under the Levites, these, these ones that have been given the names, the Nethanims. Numbers chapter, number, uh, Numbers chapter 31, and uh, let's look in... Uh, verse number 30. Let me give you a little bit of background for sake of context here. The nation of Israel has now battled uh, the Midianites, and they have conquered them. And God told them that they were to slay uh, certain ones of the Midianites, uh, all the male children, all the women that were with child. Uh, uh, they were to slay most all of the Midianites, but they were to keep some alive. Um, the Midianites were some of Abraham's descendants. They weren't uh, from Abraham and Sarah. Uh, but uh, Abraham had uh, Isaac through Sarah. Uh, he, she had Ishmael through uh, Hagar. Uh, and then uh, there was um, another uh, wife that he had uh, called Keturah. She had six sons. One of them was Midian. Uh, and so the children of Midian became the Midianites, and they were uh, at odds with the children of Israel. They became their enemies later on, many generations later. And that's the group that they are fighting here in Numbers chapter number 31. So we get down to verse number 30, and the Bible says this, And of the children of Israel's half, thou shalt take, and speaking here of the Midians, thou shalt take one portion of fifty of the persons, and of the beeves, and of the asses, and of the flocks, and all manner of beasts, and give them unto the Levites, which keep the charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So, the first indication of non-Israelites, non-Jewish people that are being, being brought in to help serve under the Levites in the temple or the tabernacle is found here in Numbers chapter 30 and, uh, 31 and verse number 30. Then uh, a number of generations later in Joshua, if you'll turn over there for just a moment, Joshua chapter number 9, we find that this group that is serving under the Levites, these are non-Israelite people that are set apart uh, they are um, consecrated, if you will, to serve the Levites in the temple. Um, then we find that there's another group that's added to them. Uh, Joshua chapter number 9 and verse number 26. Joshua chapter 9 and verse number 26. 
And uh, so did he unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, and they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers, uh, drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day in the place which he should choose. And uh, this again was uh, a group of people that they had uh, conquered and had dealt with, and this was a group of the Gideonites, um, or Gibeonites, I'm sorry, uh, that were added to the same group that was to serve under the Levites in the temple. Uh, we don't find them mentioned in the New Testament, so the best that we know is that these non-Jewish people that were brought in to serve in the temple and in the tabernacles uh, during the, the children of Israel's uh, wilderness wanderings were absorbed into the tribe and, uh, of Israel. They were absorbed into the, the, the group of folks, the, the nation of Israel, and they were made to be a part of it. Now you say, Brother Greg, why is that important? Because as we go back to Nehemiah chapter number 10, I want you to notice this, <clears throat> that there is a group of people who say we're going to willingly and of our own will and of our own uh, conscience, we're going to willingly enter into a covenant with God saying we are going to keep your statutes and we are going to keep your word and we are going to keep your testimonies. And out of that group, he lists the priests, the Levites, the, the leaders, the porters. Uh, he talks about the singers. And then he says this, and the Nephilims. I think there's a wonderful picture here. Because when Jesus came uh, to this earth, the gospel came first to who? who? Who was he first coming to? The Jews. <laughs> Aren't you so glad that he grafted in the Gentiles too? He allowed us to be partakers. And this group of non-Jewish people, they were known as the Nethanims, that served in the temple, said, He's our God too. We're going to worship Him. We're going to follow Him. And the Bible says, notice this, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. Can I tell you this? There's a lot of people who have a lot of Bible knowledge. I've talked to people that will sit and tell you that they're not saved. And they can quote Scripture as good as any of us. They don't have understanding. I'm thankful that God allows His Word to come to every man. It was to the Jews first in this case, but I'm thankful He grafted us in, aren't you? Could you imagine what we'd be like if God only brought salvation to the Jews? You and I would be miserable people. These Nephilims, to me, I, I, I got excited. I was studying a little bit more about them. And uh, I thought, you know, the fact that God allowed even those that weren't His chosen people to be partakers of the promises, the, the blessings that He had for His own nation, for His own people. I'm thankful God grafted us in. I'm thankful He allows us to have part in the Gospel, to be able to take advantage of it. And... Uh, We'll go on to see some more things about the Nephilims next week as we go through this chapter. And, uh, but uh, it helps us to know sometimes. We read through verses like this. We wonder, what in the world is that talking about? Why the Nephilims? And uh, that's who they were. They were those that served under the Levites in the temple that were not Israelites. 
And uh, what a joy, what a joy to know these things. Let's uh, stand together. We'll be dismissed in word prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Bless the service to follow and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.